We are on session three now of a um, group of messages I'm calling It's Your Turn. It's actually the fourth message because we did a preface, but you can find them on our website. Uh, Sam Jones has awesomely been updating our website for us, and you can find them there. And it's the whole idea is, is this, that how often in life do you have a dream, do you have a hope, do you have something you're believing for, something that you're trying to press into, and all the while you're waiting in that period hoping for it, you see other people get it. And it's always someone else's turn, and it never seems to be your turn. Well, God inspired me, you know, as, as pastor here, to come to the church and declare, it's your turn. Yes, it's the person next to your turn, but it's your turn. And not just this idea of me getting up and making some random declaration that sounds good. Not just declare it's your turn, but prepare for it to be your turn. And so this whole idea of it's, it's not just a declaration, but we need to play our part in what God's going to do by the thought process and the decision making we do and the lifestyle we lead so that we can actually step into the things God's got for us. Have you got that? We're going to do this together. We've looked at various things. We've looked at the big question that Jesus asked in a passage we're going to look at in a moment. We've looked at the pain in waiting. And you know what? Sometimes it is painful in waiting, but even in that process, you can do some stuff. And we looked at that last week. And today, my title as part three of It's Your Turn is this. You can't stay the same. You can't stay the same. You know, you can't expect to have a different experience in life, but live the way you were before that experience in life. Something has to shift in you. And I want to unpack that a little bit today and help you with it. And the whole series is based on this passage in John 5. The prelude to, to, to this passage is that there's a group of disabled people who gather, and they gather a, a, around a pool. And every so often, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the pool, and if people got into the pool while it was still moving, they would be healed. And they would see this happen. So all the disabled people got together and, and watched it happening and believed that they were going to be the one who got in the pool and the waters would stir and people would get in the pool. And that's why they gathered there. And we find it here in John 5. Starting at verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five collared colonnades. Here is a great number of disabled people. uh, Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The big question. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. So here is this man, disabled in life, dreaming that it would be different, dreaming that he would get his healing, seeing other people get their healing, seeing that it was possible, being frustrated. But then he encounters Jesus. And it's interesting because what I want to look at today is this whole idea of pressing into Jesus in the midst of the dream, in the midst of the hope, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of asking yourself all the questions, could we get our eyes fully focused on Jesus? This idea that Jesus came down and looked him in the face. And the guy had an option. He could have 
looked at all the circumstances around him. He could have looked at all the people around him. He could have just looked inwardly and looked at himself. But the moment he chose to disregard all of that and give his full attention to Jesus, things changed. So could you be someone today who stops looking at your circumstances, who stops looking at the people around you, who stops looking at all the reasons why you can't do some stuff and actually give your full attention to Jesus? Because Jesus has always had good plans for you. But the reality is we're looking around at everything else and all the reasons why not. Just like this guy, the water's stirring, someone always gets there before me. It's always someone else. And Jesus says, do you actually want to get well? So look at me. And so my challenge to you today, church, is could we be people who look at Jesus full in the face? I love the idea of the ironic blessing. It goes something like this. The Lord um, bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That's how the Jewish people bless each other. And I like this thought. Let God turn his face to you. You know, I'm just picturing in that, you know, a bunch of teenage girls going to, I don't know, One Direction concert, just plucking a random boy band out of there. And, you know, maybe they get three rows from the front. They're all excited and they've queued up for 17 years to get to the front. And they get to the front and out come the band. They sing a song. And you can just imagine it. In that one moment, one of the lads turns around and catches the girl's eye. And you know they're going to be, oh, he looked at me. The fact we're tittering means we know what I'm talking about. Some of the girls are like, yeah, that's me. That was me. That was me. Yeah, sorry about that. Was me. But that idea that, oh, he looked at me. You know, I don't know if in church circles you've been in an environment where there's been someone with a prophetic ministry. And you're standing there thinking, God, would you say something to me? Would you speak into my life? And you're hoping that prophetic person is going to look at you. And when they look at you, like, oh, well, how about this? Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, all-powerful one is turning his face to you. He is the one that can bring change to your life. He is the one who has the keys to death and life itself. And he says, I'm looking at you. Do you want to get well? And we have this choice in our response. It means we get the opportunity to look at love full in the face. Because Jesus is love personified. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a guy. He is love incarnate. And when you look at love full in the face, what does that do to you? It brings blessing. It brings hope. But the response needs to be, I'll play my part then. What is it you want me to do? Jesus said to the man, get up. What is it, if you look Jesus full in the face with a dream in your heart, he's going to say, well, let's do this then. And will you say yes? But the reality is you can't stay the same. You can't carry on living a certain way and expect a different result. When you look at love full in the face, it causes you to live differently. The man didn't stay the same. I was thinking to myself, um, before I met Sarah, I was a single guy. Give me a wave, all the single guys in the room. Oh, just a few, just a few, just a few. Speaking blessings on you guys right there. And... um, I was a single guy, and when you're a single guy, you live a certain kind of way. You know, you don't have to be accountable to someone. You can spend your money on you, what you want. You can go out when you want. You, you just live a certain life. You've probably got your eye out for maybe a potential partner and all that rest of it. But when you get into the relationship, you can't carry on living like you're not in a relationship. That would be weird. Imagine single Barry in a relationship, Barry. That's just, just not going to be working. 
Sarah's going to get all upset. I'm going to do or say something I shouldn't have done because I'm living the same way I lived here, although I dreamed to live here. And it's the same in life. There's no point in dreaming I want to experience this and I'm living like this here. When I get here, I've got to live different. You can't stay the same. And so my challenge to you today as you look Jesus full in the face is what are you prepared to do different? To get the thing you hoped for. It's the same with dreams. In terms of your dream, you can't just expect there to be a different result and keep living the same way. I think sometimes we find ourselves in what I'm calling a weird comfort space. You're not living the dream. You're not experiencing what you hoped for. But you kind of just got used to it. And so we plod along in life doing okay. It's not that it's horrendous. It's just all right. And we get comfortable with all right. But deep in our heart, we don't want to live a life that's all right. We want to live a life that's a bit outrageous. We want to live a life that's actually making a difference. We want to live a life where we're achieving something. We want to live a life where we're experiencing something different that's always been in our heart. But we just tick along with okay. Give me a wave if you're familiar with that kind of thought process. Come on, people. I know you're out there. We like comfort. But here's some truth. Comfort changes nothing. Comfort changes nothing. And so we can live comfortable and you can live the rest of your life comfortable. But you'll never get what you really hoped for. Because comfort actually changes nothing. When Jesus looks you full in the face, and I believe he's doing that through this period, he's not looking for comfort. He's looking for conviction. He's looking for someone to get it in their heart that I want my dream to be a reality. And as I've got your attention, Jesus, and as I give you my full attention, I believe, Jesus, you can do what you said you can do. And I believe, Jesus, that you love me enough to do what you said you'd do. And so my prayer is, what do I need to do to play my part? Because who knows this? God wants to partner with people. This whole idea of church Does God need the church to do what he needs to do? No, but he loves to partner with people. So he gathers a family of people and says, I want to use you. So if you would gather together and give me your full attention, what could the church do in our town, in our county, in our nation, in the world? Because we actually choose not to live comfortable, but to live with conviction. Jesus, what do you want us to be about? But it's the same in your personal world. You can live comfortable and that's fine. But if you want to live the dream, you've got to have some conviction in your heart that says, God, you're my answer to this. What do I need to do to play my part in that? What decision do I need to make? How do I need to see things? How do I need to behave differently? Because I know I can't live there and stay the same as I'm living here. It causes a shift. Are you with me? When God confronts you in your present, he will start moving you out of your comfort zone into your grace zone. And this is the thing. See, God has graced you from, for stuff. And when I say that, I mean he has given you the ability just to do some stuff that's easy to you. There are people in this room who are really practical with their hands. You know, they can make a shelf. They can fi- fix a toilet. They can build a house. Give me a wave if you're one of those kind of people. Got any of them in the house? Literally none. <laughs> oh, there's, there's, there's two at the back now. People who can do I can't. I'm rubbish at that stuff. If Sarah married me for those skills, she married the wrong guy. But I'm good at listening. I'm good at talking, as you might be gathering. I'm quite a funny kind of guy. I'm faithful. You know, I've got some grace gifts that God's given me that maybe I can do, but you can't. But my point is this. When you start having a dream, do you know what? God put that dream in there. And he also equipped you to live that dream. 
But the trouble is when we live in a comfort zone, we're not living in our grace zone. We're just being comfortable. So when we step out of our comfort and into our grace, we start doing the things we actually find easy and we get better results. And we start living the dream. Can you see it? So when you encounter Jesus and you give him your full attention, you can't stay the same, but you can live easily. It's not about doing more or working harder. It's about working in your grace. And God wants you to be blessed in all of this. But the reality is you can't behave like you did before. If the lame man who gets up had sat on his mat for 38 years, if the very next day he went back and sat on his mat for another 38 years, what's the point? You can walk, but you're still sat here, living no different. And God's saying, what is your dream? You can have that dream, but don't stay sat there. Get up and change it then. Live differently. Look at me differently. See it differently. And then you can start having the very thing you hoped for. The lame guy was so focused on the water stirring and getting into the water, he was looking for an event to change his life. But then Jesus arrives. Now, Jesus is Jesus. He could have, what Jesus could have done is stirred the water. You're looking for an event? I'll give you an event. Stir the water, in you get pal. Whoopity-doo, there you go. It's what you expected. But that's not what Jesus did, is it? See, Jesus knew that the man was looking for an event, but Jesus arrived and said this, I am the event. It's me. You don't need the water to stir. You need me. One person gets in the water and gets well, but everyone can come to me. And so Jesus says, I am the event. And so often, guys, we live like that. When you look at it through the eyes of this story, you think, yeah, I get what a wally. Why is he looking for an event when Jesus is there? And here we are doing the same thing. Looking for a circumstance to change. Looking for someone to help me. Looking for something to be different. And Jesus is going, look at me. Do you get it? We need to be a church and you need to be an individual who will pause in the comfort zone you're living in with a dream in your heart that says, I'm going to give you my full attention. What is it you need me to do? And something will shift in your world, but it takes faith and it takes pressing in. I think some people who have been maybe in relationship with Jesus for a long, long time have almost become a bit over-familiar. A bit blasé about Jesus. We come to church and we sing our songs and we jump up and down and we go home and we go on with life. This is Almighty God. This is the King of Kings. This is the creator of heaven and earth. This is the one who holds your future in his hands. And if we stop being blasé about him and actually got on our knees and said, I need you more than ever. I'm tired of living comfortably. I want to live outrageously. I'm tired of living, tired of living in this zone. I want to have some different experience. When we start living in that zone, in faith with Jesus, your life will shift. Or we can go through the motions in life. And that's cool and that's your choice. But I want to encourage you as someone who's passionate about you. There is more for you. And the key to that more is a relationship with Jesus. Not being blasé about it, but pressing into it. Can you see? God's got good stuff for you. There are other people who don't really know Jesus. Maybe half seen him, maybe listened to him a little bit, maybe, maybe even prayed a few times. But when you fully give Jesus your attention, good stuff comes. Because he wants to bless you and he wants to use you to be a blessing to others. Jesus hasn't come to change the things around you. He's come to change the things in you. 
He hasn't come to change your circumstances. He's come to change you in the midst of your circumstances. He hasn't come to stir the water in front of you. He's come to stir the faith inside you. See, when you meet with Jesus, everything around you doesn't change. You change. See, you look at the lame guy in this picture. Here he is, sat in amongst the five colonnades, waiting for the water to stir, with lame and disabled people all around him, all frustrated. The water didn't change. The people didn't change. The situation didn't change. He changed. And he changed because he gave Jesus his full attention. He got up and walked out of the situation. The situation was still there. And I wonder if that's a prophetic word for someone today. You're in the middle of a situation. You can't see that changing. And you know what? The situation's not going to change. But as you change, you leave the situation behind you. Come on, church. It's time we give Jesus our full attention. I don't know what you're hoping for, dreaming for, praying for, but I know this. When you give Jesus your full attention, things are going to shift. Something inside you is going to go off, which will pull you away from the situation. And it's for you. One of the things that has been interesting for me as I've looked at this kind of stuff is that I feel like we get in a comfort zone and then we kind of get stuck there. And from lots of us, you know, we live in England for crying out loud. It's a nice life. Even the people who are struggling in life in England are doing far better than three quarters of the world. We have comfort here. But God's put something on the inside of us to say, I want more than that. I'm here to represent heaven. And heaven's just not okay. Heaven's outrageous. So I want my life to be outrageous and an inspiration to someone. I want to be blessed so I can be a blessing. I want to change the world. I want to change someone's life. I want to help someone, love someone, make a difference here. There's something of that in all of us. But one of the areas I think we so often get stuck is actually in our thinking. You know, it's all right for me to stand here and declare this stuff, and I hope it's inspiring you. But unless you think different, you will just keep having the same results. And who knows that all around the world in social media, in in lots of platforms, we're looking at the brain, we're looking at the way we think, we're challenging ourselves to, to understand that better. And it's a real thing. And it's a real thing in the church. But the great thing is God's equipped us to give us answers. And what I want to do right now is to invite my mum, who is Linda to you, to come and share a little bit of what she's learned in the past couple of months, just for a few minutes to help you grasp some of this stuff. So a round of applause for my mum, please. So it's interesting, um, Barry, talking about stirring, because one of the grace gifts God's given me is to stir people up for him, to stir people up for good. And that's what I'm going to do now. So all the people we've looked at so far, the crippled man at the pool, Abraham, Sarai, Hagar, and I think we're going to look at Paul today, but I'm not sure now. um, All their lives were affected for good or bad, but it was through their thought processes And this would be true for anybody that you would read about in the Bible, um, and it's true for us. Because what we think affects what we feel, what we say, and then what we do. So I want to give a little bit of personal testimony, as Pastor Barry has said, um, which I hope will help you and stir you up yourselves. So about a year ago, uh, the Lord spoke to me about a new season, a new season of us entering more fully into the mind of Christ, and that this would release a fresh wave of wisdom which would accelerate advancement in all spheres of our life, in the church and the world. He said that going deeper into his mind would cause a refining process where negative thinking would be destroyed, consumed by the refiner's fire, if that's the sort of language you like. 
he said that sometimes this will be done miraculously while we sleep. Who likes that? Hidden creativity will be realised, science will be advanced and there would be a growing realisation that science and scripture are coming together, are realigning. Um, I like to call this my enter and advance word and I'm hoping it will become your enter and advance word. So I said to the Lord, well, that's a yes from me. But what I wasn't prepared for was the personal journey that he took me on after I'd heard this word. I began experiencing repetitive toxic thoughts, things people had said to me going over and over in my mind. Do you know that when you sort of have a conversation with yourself in your head? Um, Anybody relate to that? Um, I think most people can relate to it if they're honest. And then bad memories from the past surfacing, things I thought I'd dealt with years ago. It was extremely challenging, as my husband, my wonderful husband, will tell you. It went on for about six months, but it was actually a very beneficial time. It was like having a spring clean in my mind. And then I had a dream, um, and I saw a huge wave coming into the the shore, but it didn't quite reach the shore. But as it pulled back, I saw the scripture, Romans 12, 2, in being pulled back in this wave. And, and this happens several times. You know how it does when the, when the tide's coming in, you get a wave and a pullback and then a bigger wave. Well, this is what I saw. Um, but each time the wave got bigger and bigger and each time Romans 12.2 was wrapped in the wave um, and then eventually it crashed powerfully onto the shore. So who knows what Romans 12.2 says? I'm sure a lot of you do. And I'm going to read it to you first from the NIV version. And it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is what Pastor Barry is referring to, that we have to get our minds in order. And the word of God tells us this. And then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So that's the point of having to renew our mind and for letting God help us because we are then going to be able to approve his good and perfect will. The, the renewed mind is to prove the will of God. And who knows that Jesus is the will of God? So the renewed mind is knowing Jesus and making him known. So I'm very excited um, about it, this It's Your Turn series and having this opportunity because it's become clear that this season that the Lord spoke to me about some while ago, about a year, um, is the season. It's the season for us to be intentional and to go deeper into the mind of Christ because it changes everything as we're seeing. So in response to this, Terry and I will be running some mini seminars so that we can work together and help and encourage one another through this process to have a good old sprinkling of the minds together. When you consider this, some of you might know this this fact, but between 75 and 95% of mental, physical and behavioural problems come from our thought life. A detox is going to be a good thing, isn't it, church? Not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Something very traumatic happened to me in my childhood, but it didn't actually surface in my conscious memory until I was married. But it was always deep within my brain, affecting how I thought and reacted. I just didn't know it. Maybe you've got hidden memories, hidden memories that the Lord wants to heal, or rejection, hurt, injustice. I could go on. All these things, left unattended, they affect how we think, feel, speak, and react. Now, you may think to yourself sitting there, well, I haven't got any of these things going on. You may think I'm all together. And maybe you are. But 
wherever you think or wherever you are, there's always room to go deeper into the mind of Christ, always, wherever you are. And so this is a message for everybody. So just a few thoughts to ponder, and they're just like statements. Did you know that everything, everything we say or do is first a thought? Everything we say or do is first a thought. No word or action is random. Are you a victim of your thought life? Would you make a long-term decision based on a short-term emotion? Because this is definitely a trap, and many of us fall into that. Do we confuse failure as an action as failure as an identity? I think Pastor Barry's looked at that a little bit. But it's important to know the difference between those two things. Are you a reactor or a responder? These are very key things to consider. There's a difference between listening and hearing. With the unrenewed mind, we listen to our own thoughts. With the renewed mind, we hear God's thoughts. And there's a verse in Psalm 85, in the Passion Trans version, that actually backs that up. So how about this for encouragement then? Two things that I'd like to suggest to you to be evident through the renewed mind are miracles and healings. The more we think like Jesus thought, the more we're going to do what he did. Um, and he said we do even greater things, didn't he, than he did. Uh, some of you may know this, others may not. But in 2005, when we started at this church, a prophet came and declared over us that we would be known for miracles. Could this be the season for that? If we're prepared to go through a process of getting our mind renewed, which will affect what we say, do, um, and would say and do, then the, this could be true, couldn't it? Because we'll be thinking and then acting like Jesus did. Our faith will rise. So bring it on. That's what I say. We want it to be the season for that, don't we? John Maxwell, I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but he was, he's a highly successful businessman. And I've put this in here to particularly encourage those of you in the business world, because obviously all these topics are not just related to church and us personally. It's all to do with us being successful in every area of our life. But he's an inspirational speaker at CEO level. And he made this very simple statement, and it's this. The greatest mistake is living in constant fear that we will make one. Fear is one of our biggest hindrances, probably the biggest, particularly in the church. What are we afraid of then? Let's have a look at that together. We'll, we will address this and all these other questions and many more in these seminars. We want to make the seminars accessible to as many as possible. So they're only going to be about an hour and a half long. Um, and we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, do them, run them on uh, weekdays, evenings, mornings, even Saturday mornings, just so that we can make them accessible to everybody. So we're not particularly looking for a great big meeting, but we just want everybody to have the opportunity to be able to come to them. Um, so they'll last no more than an hour and a half. We'll have a little talk. There'll be prayer and impartation, which will be the most important part of it. And obviously there'll be room for some discussion if that's needed. Um, so we're going to put some clipboards around in a minute. And if you could indicate on there whether this is something you'd like to do, then we'll take it from there. So I just want to end with Romans 12.2 again, but this time from the Passion Transver uh, Translation. And um, could you put that up for me, guys? Yeah, there it is. Father, just as we uh, hear your word spoken and as we read it, I pray that you'll bring that conviction that Pastor Barry's talked about to us, Lord God, to want to have our minds transformed, to be more like you, to do as you do, Father God. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. 
This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So it is your turn, but it won't be your turn unless you take your turn. It's time to take your turn, church, and advance into all the fullness that God has got planned for you. Isaiah 57 verse 14 talks about removing the rubbish from the highway of holiness. And I want us to be able to remove the rubbish from our minds and those neuro pathways in our brains that we will talk about. Let's work together to spring clean our mind, disinfect the pathways of our brain with the truth of the word so that we can be more effective for Jesus and advance the kingdom individually and corporately. You know, transformed people bring transformation. Colchester and Essex will be changed and it will be fun. So let's do it, church, hey? Selah. Do you want to pass them clipboards around? Hey, sign up and have a look. Make yourself known that you, you, you want to look at that. Wouldn't it be great? It's a, as a church, we progress together. So, so good. Um, just um, a few minutes left. I wanted to, to just look at one other person, biblically speaking, who had an encounter with Jesus and was radically changed. Uh, I want to look at Saul, who becomes Paul. Anyone familiar with that guy? This guy, as Saul, he went around persecuting the Christians so much because they believed in Jesus that he was murdering them. He was having them killed and slaughtered and and all kinds of depraved stuff happening to them. We're talking about this guy. But this is what happens to Saul. Uh, Acts 9 verses 1 through 9 says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is believing in Jesus, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as a prisoner to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I'm not sure that's how God was sounding. Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? Uh, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Uh, The men travelling with Saul, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here is this guy who's a Jesus hater. But then he meets Jesus. And he looks in the eyes of Jesus, hears the voice, sees the light. And he's thrown off of his horse. His whole life is interrupted in that moment. I wonder how many of us, if we actually stopped our day-to-day life and looked in the heart of Jesus, that our whole life would be interrupted. And, he, and he, he can't see. He cannot be the same. He has this amazing experience where he cannot be the same. This is the guy who's been persecuting and murdering Jesus' people. He was living a certain way. He was comfortable there. He had authority there. He knew what he was doing. People thought it was great. But then he encountered Jesus. He encountered the one whose people he was persecuting. And I love that. God is able to reach even the extreme people. You know, I'm sure you've got friends and family. I'm sure even yourself, you sometimes think, oh, I'm so distant. God is able to reach you. God is able to reach your friend, your family member, your colleague, your uncle, your auntie, your niece, your nephew, your son, your daughter. God is able. 
And when people encounter Jesus, they cannot be the same. We cannot be the same. This is what happens in, in uh, verses, verse 19 onwards. After, uh, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias comes to, to help him and feed him. Uh, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's radical change right there. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When they came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And, now, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Here is this guy, uh, Saul stayed with them, la la la. Here is this guy who was living a certain way in a comfort zone, but he was actually graced to communicate the love of Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, he couldn't live the same. In fact, he lived the absolute opposite way. Saul, who they renamed Paul, wrote about a third of the New Testament in your Bible today. He was so gifted by God that he is still changing the world today, even though he was gone many years ago. He was in this grace zone. He was once killing the Christians, and now he is giving life to the Christians by his teaching. Empowered by God. He couldn't live the same. But know this. When, when you change dramatically because of Jesus, not everyone likes it. All of his people were like, what on earth is going on here? We're going to kill him. They had to lower him out of a basket. Now, as you, you know, I'm hoping I'm not going to have to lower any of you in a basket. So we should be all right there. But can you see what happens? When you meet Jesus and you start living differently, not everyone's going to love it. But that's Okay. Because if you're ever going to make a difference in this world, not everyone's going to like you for it. So press in. But what Paul did, or Saul becoming Paul did, was he empowered people. He, he proved Jesus. He had such an encounter. He was able to say, no, you've got it wrong. And he could eloquently describe it because he was in his grace zone. He could just do it. He didn't have to think about it, try hard at it. God had given him a gift. God's given each of you a gift. And if we will allow him to interrupt our comfort and with a bit of conviction, look in his eyes and say, what do you want me to do? You'll step into your grace zone and it'll be a zone where you love it. It'll be a zone where you get on with life. It'll be a zone where you look back and go, wow, look what God's doing. This is amazing. That's the experience God wants you to have. John 10, 10. I came that you would have the fullest life, not the average life, the comfortable life, the fullest life. Is there an amen in the house somewhere? I say all of this. As part of this journey, not just to declare to you it's your turn, but to set you up in your thought processes, in your prayer life, in your actions, and in your words for it actually to be your turn. I'm waiting just on story after story after story of people who are in this church and people who hear these messages to say, do you know what? I went on a journey and God shifted something in me. My circumstances didn't change, but I changed. And as my change, I stepped out of my circumstances and now I'm living the life I dreamed of. I want to hear that. 
I want to hear that. Pray for your church. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family members. That that is the testimony we're going to have because you're going to have it too. Come on, guys. Let's get some stir up. Turn to someone next to you and say, it's your turn. There are two parts to something that we often say. We often say this, know who you are in Christ. You ever heard that? That is so important. Do you know you are loved? Do you know you're accepted? Do you know you are forgiven? Do you know God's got great plans for you? When you know who you are in Christ, it's a life changer. You are his treasured possession. I don't know what you treasure in life, but God treasures you. He looks after you. He thinks you're amazing. He looks down on you. Sometimes we don't think as good about ourselves as he does. But when you start knowing what he thinks of you, it does something on the inside of you. Know who you are in Christ. Here's the other part of the coin. Know who he is in you. Know who you are in Christ, but know who he is in you. See, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Which means I know who I am, but I also know who's in me. And that's a life changer because that means I can do some stuff. If Jesus can get up, I can get up. If Jesus can provide, I can provide. If Jesus is living in me, everything that was true of him is also true of me. And it's a game changer. It's not comfortable, but it's a life changer. And I don't want to live comfortable. kind of do. But I don't want to have a life that was, oh, that was nice. I want to live a life that, wow. I went through some stuff. I achieved some stuff. I pressed for some stuff. And look what on earth's happened. That had to be God because I couldn't have done that. That's the life I want to lead. And I hope it's the life you want to lead. Because it really is your turn. But like my mum just said, we need to take hold of it. We need to grab it. There's a partnership here. This isn't God just going, I'm giving it to you. This is him inviting you into a journey together. And it will be your turn. Is there an amen in the house? Should we stand up and pray? Awesome. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes. You don't have to, but I think it's helpful. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for this journey that we're on. My greatest prayer, Lord, is that I could become a bit more like you. That everyone listening to this could become a bit more like you. That we could get our eyes off of ourselves, our circumstances and our people around us and give you our full attention. That we could... Know who we are in you, but grasp more than ever who you are in us. Lord, that we could shift our thought patterns to think like you think. We could change our focus to see how you see. We could change our words to speak how you speak. And as we go on this journey, Lord God, I pray that you would stir the hopes and dreams up in us. Come on, church. Don't let that dream die. Don't think, oh, it's gone on so long, it's never going to happen for me. It's your turn. It's your turn. Let's shift something. The guy, the lame guy in the story in John 5, Jesus said to him, get up. But you know what he had to do? He had to get up. Maybe God's going to say something to you. Will you do it? Or will you make an excuse not to do it? But my hope is you'll respond in obedience because that's a step of faith. Could the guy walk? No. So he couldn't get up, but he looked at Jesus and he just tried. And when he tried, he suddenly found himself doing something he could never have done before. So I don't know what your dream is, and you might look at that and think, I could never do that. Well, maybe you can't, but with God in you, yes, you can. But it takes a step. So, Lord God, I just declare faith for a step over your church. 
You be glorified in all of it. But church, I stir your hope. I stir your dreams. I stir you out of your weird comfort zone and challenge you to step into a grace zone where you're going to laugh, where you're going to achieve some stuff, where you're going to be happiest, where you're going to live the full life that Jesus paid for. You're amazing and you need to know you're amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Just with every eye closed, is there anyone here today who feels like I'm distant from Jesus and I need to be closer to Jesus? Maybe I've never known Jesus. I always want to create an opportunity. What a chance today to leave the place different. Are you someone today who says, Jesus, I want you in the middle of this life. I need you more than ever. If that's you today, I want to ask you to give me a wave and we're going to pray together. Is that you to say, Jesus, I need you in the middle of it all. Here's your opportunity. Give me a wave. Anyone today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe there's more. I'm going to wait just a second. Give me a wave. Don't miss these opportunities. Thank you, Lord. We've got a couple of people responding. So I'm going to pray a line. And this prayer line is a church. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me just the way I am. I invite you to come and live in my heart, to be my Lord, to lead me forward. I say sorry for the things that I've done wrong and I accept your forgiveness. Today's a new day for me. And all God's people said, Amen, 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 Amen. God bless you guys.